You're listening to a podcast from 702. The Naked Scientist. All right, let's take a break from being down and sad about some of the terrible things happening in our country at the moment and speak to Dr. Chris Smith, who will answer all of our science-related questions on 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Dr. Chris, how are you doing? I thought you were going to say take the eye off your troubles by looking at a country with terrible <laughs> things happening called the UK. Uh, you know, I'll see your South African Please problems keep and your raise problems you a too. Prime Minister who doesn't seem to be very popular anymore. <laughs> Two million cases of COVID a week Eish. in climbing, polio on the streets of London, and monkeypox all over the place. It's, it, oh, you couldn't make this up. <sighs> yeah, there's so much going on. All right, let's take, let's go straight to the lines and switch off from the problems between South Africa and the UK. Keith in Ethel, how are you? Hi, Rebecca and Dr. Chris. Um, I've got a quick question regarding the pneumonia vaccine. Um, should, uh, should one be vaccinated, and, and if so, how frequently, and how effective are these vaccines? Mm. Hi, Keith. Well, pneumonia is, when we say pneumonia, just a, a diagnosis. That is an infection in the chest. And there's a range of things that will do that, but I suspect you're probably referring to bacterial pneumonia often caused by Streptococcus pneumoniae, hence the name, strep pneumo. But there are lots of other bacteria, especially if you've got different medical backgrounds in terms of underlying health conditions that can cause a pneumonia. But in terms of the kinds of things that commonly do this, bacterial infections, there are a sequence of um, vaccines that people can have, especially if they are immunosuppressed, they can have these and they are very good. And a common one is the pneumovax. And we advise people who have had their spleen removed, for example, to have a pneumovax vaccine. We advise people who are on various immunosuppressive drugs to go and have these vaccines. So the way they work is that they introduce to the body either components of or killed versions of the bacteria which are linked to causing pneumonias. And in that way, you mount an immune response and you do it more slowly in, even in the face of a, of a less well-functioning immune system, so that you have a built immune response there. So if you do meet those bacteria for real, you're already prepared to fight them off. And so, yes, these are very good agents. They do work very well. They save lots of lives. Thank you so much, Keith in Ethel, for that question. There's a question here which I don't understand, but I know that you will explain, Dr. Chris. And it says, Thomas and Haman Skrull, I'd like for Dr. Chris to name in detail about time epochs like BC, AD, BCE, from the beginning to now. All right, okay. Well, we have a number of designations for how we actually call different timings. Because when people say this was uh, 2000 BC, we talked about before Christ or BC, before Common Era, BCE, it's all about trying to give people some idea of where things sit in the date line. Because if you say this was 5,256 years ago, it, it gets harder for people to work out exactly what was going on at the time. Whereas if you've got some landmarks, which uh, you know that certain things happened at certain times, and this was 2,000 years before that, it also helps you to really get a mental grasp of what evolution was doing around the same time and what humans were doing and how far along our evolutionary path we had come at that time. So we've got BCE before Common Era, and um, we've also got AD in the Anno Domini after Christ. It depends how people tend to designate them. And then there are whole geological 
timescales, of course. Don't forget those, where you've got all these complicated names like the Permium and the Jurassic and the Cretaceous and that kind of thing. So they're, they're all just jargon unless you learn them. So but I tend to think... Sorry, sorry, go on. No, 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 continue saying um, they're all just jargon. Well, they're jargon until you learn them. And yes. I always say whenever we get geologists on our program, if you're not careful, because they're so familiar to those people, they'll just talk about Pleistocene, the Ordovician, and the uh, Ediacaran era. And then you'll say, well, hang on a minute, because most people have never come across these terms, me included, because they're not in common parlance. And it's an example of science being difficult to follow if you're not in with the lingo. So I always say to people, do try and put this into, into common language that people will follow as well, because we just don't understand what these terms mean. And so this is a, a good point that's being made here, that if you're not careful, the, the message gets lost in the lingo. Now, my question is, isn't it odd then to refer to things as B.C., if you are not a Christian or even a believer? Well, you don't have to be a, a Christian to know that if someone, if someone reputedly died in the year 2000, uh, 2000, 2000 years ago, well, then that means the period since then. Yes. But people do tend to use peri- words like BCE before Common Era and after the Common Era, mm. and that, that maps onto the same sort of thing. So it, it's not, I don't think intrinsic to that name is, is actually believing in Christianity. Uh, I, for instance, am not religious, but I would still potentially say, well, oh, BC must mean before Christ, mm. AD, Anno Domino, and so on. Okay, that makes complete sense. Let's go to the lines. We have Lebo in Kempton Park. Hi, Lebo. Hi, Lebo. All right, let's Sponsor pass Lebo back. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to Anne in the Santon. Hi, Anne. Hi, good afternoon. Mm. I would just like to ask um, Dr. Chris, is, is, would be, oh gosh, would an immunosuppressive drug be helpful with Hashimoto's disease? Hi, Anne. The answer is, first of all, what's Hashimoto's disease? This is a condition of the thyroid, and this is caused by antibodies which get onto the thyroid and they can activate it and in some cases attack it and they therefore can cause thyroiditis, inflammation of the thyroid. And under certain circumstances, yes, I'm aware of people who when they've had uh, autoimmune thyroid disease have taken immunosuppressive drugs. More commonly though, this is, treat- this is used to treat a different version of thyroid disease called Graves' disease where you block the action of the, the, the thyroid for a while and then let the immune system stop stimulating it with antibodies that look like the natural stimulating hormone. But certainly, I think people have managed thyroid disease with, caused of, of the type of Hashimoto's with immunosuppressions in the past, but different cases are different and, and it will come down to the individual what's actually the cause of their disease, what's wrong with them and how best to manage them. All right, let's go to Cabello in Uppington. Hi, Cabello. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks, and you? Good. My question for Dr. Chris is, like most of the people I'm living with, they're able to remember the things that while they were young, and age around 10 or younger. Thing is with me, I'm not able to recall anything. Is there anything wrong with me? Mm, mm, that's, that's a good, good question, Cabello. Doctor? Well, You'll often find that people will say they have crystal clear memories of way back when, but they can't remember what they did five minutes ago. I'm one of them. But what's changed between when we were 10 and when we were about 50 is that 
when you're 50, I mean, I was having this conversation with my daughter the other day, and she was telling me off for forgetting something, and I said, look, hang on a minute, how many things do you have to worry about in a day? How many things do I have to worry about in a day? And it's general busyness and novelty. When we're young, we're encountering many of the things that we remember very well for the first time in our lives. And when you have the first time of anything, it does produce a really big response in your nervous system, and it produces a really powerful memory. The first thing that you smelled that smelled like X, or the first time you did Y, or the first time you met a special person. Those things are galvanized in your mind because they made such a big impression on you. By the time you're older and you're really busy, A, you've been, you've been around the track so many times that a lot of these things become routine, and so you don't form the same lasting memory of them because you don't have to your brain is saving itself from mental overload but also because you've got tons and tons of things going on vying for your attention you don't necessarily attend to these things or get surprised by these things in the same way which equally means you probably don't make as good a memory of them and also as we get older up to a point we often substitute sleep to go and do other things that people are asking us to do and if you don't get a good night's sleep often information is less well ingrained and consolidated in your memory. So we often are, are victims of a paucity of sleep, especially in the modern era. We've invaded the night with electricity and light bulbs, uh, except in certain times when the lights go out, as you were just talking about earlier. But that means that we have often, as a, as a species, robbed ourselves of much-needed sleep, and that's probably also more common as we get older, and that is damaging our ability to form such good memories of some things that happen to us. And I think it's probably a factor, a combination of all of these factors conspiring. Would that, um, uh, would it be a consideration, Cabello? I mean, some of the people that I know that can't remember certain things and, and help me out here, doctor, is that some of their memories are suppressed. Well, th there are some people who choose not to remember things. Mm. But generally, if, you've, if you have uh, got something in your mind, then it will be there. And you may not want to share it with people, but it will certainly be there. And it will certainly be real for you. And I suspect that people who, who have been through traumatic times, for example, will choose not to remember things because mm. they are painful for them. It doesn't mean the memory has gone away, though. Mm, mm. All right, thank you so much to Gabelo and Uppington. Basil and Joyce, I see you and I see all of your WhatsApp messages coming through. Let's take a break. 702. The Naked Scientist. We continue with Dr. Chris Smith, 011 in the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. We have Joyce in Bedford View. Hi, Joyce. Hi, really, How are you? Good, thanks. And you? I'm good. I'm really, I've got a question for a doctor here. Mm. So I'm in my 30s and I have um, breast fibrosis. So I just want to find out, is it advisable to remove them or I can just wait? They will disappear after some time. Mm. Doctor, yeah. so the breast fibrosis, is it advisable to remove them or they can disappear after some time? I'm not a surgeon, so you must take with a massive grain of salt anything I say because mm -hmm. it's been a very long time since I did anything on this part of the body. But these sorts of things are very common and they do go through the breast tissue, especially in a woman premenopausally pre because there are uh, lots of uh, hormone cycles going on. This does cause the breast to change their characteristic and these sorts of things to grow and also to disappear and regress with the menstrual cycle, but also with pregnancy and things like that. 
It's really important, though, that a diagnosis of something else that can cause lumps in the breast is not missed. So something that's new, something that is changing, or something that is painful, something that's caused skin changes, or doesn't feel right, must be investigated. Absolutely never take chances with this kind of thing. But something that's stable, has been investigated, hasn't changed, and is not causing any other kind of discomfort, but you can feel, and, and is remaining day to day the same, that may well be absolutely fine, but to get rid of them, they, many of them do disappear, some won't. You can also get necrotic bits of fat in the breast as well, which causes sort of craggy hard lumps as well. They can have surgery to get rid of them under certain circumstances, but remember that with any kind of intervention, there are always risks. And if it's not causing you any problem, other than you know it's there and it it's, it's maybe feels wrong, but is otherwise not bothering you, always weigh up the pros and cons of surgical intervention because with any kind of surgery there's a risk things might go wrong you can get infections you can you can get bleeding that kind of thing mm. and you can get some skin changes and scarring so while you might get rid of one problem you may have another as a consequence of doing something about it so do please take advice from someone who knows your medical history knows the history of this problem mm -hmm. but also knows what sorts of interventions they could offer for what your problem is and therefore what the likely balance of outcomes will be, and that will help you to make a decision. Joyce, have you already had a consultation with a surgeon? Yes, I had. Um, actually, they told me to remove them, but I'm not sure. I'm still mm. Yeah. Mm. Maybe consider getting a second opinion if you are feeling unsure, because obviously making a decision like that is a tough one. But thank you so much for giving us a call, Joyce. Let's go through to Lebo in Kempton Park. Lebo, hi. How Lebo again? Okay, <laughs> Basil in Boxburg. Hi, Basil. Hi. How are you? Mm, good. Thanks, and you, Basil. I'm great. So I just want to ask something. I stay next to the airport. Mm. Um, so now and again, when the uh, flights and everything, after some time, it feels like, or it sounds like, rather, it sounds like someone is pulling a plastic on air. Does that sound like someone is pulling, even if there's no plane that is just passing? Now and again, it feels like someone, or it sounds like someone is pulling a plastic on air. What causes that? Hmm. I'm not sure I understand exactly what you're describing to us. Tell us a bit more. Okay, so um, there will be a plane that will go past. Mm. After a while, it, it, it will sound like there is a big sound, like someone is putting a plastic, like a sound on air. I don't know what causes that. In the air? Yes. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that phenomena um, on your side, Doctor? No. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, here's, so, here's Basil, are do, you right? are you here's trying to describe a delayed sound? Yeah. Is it like a delayed sound that you're hearing? I don't know whether it's a delayed sound, but even if the plane has passed maybe three, four, five minutes later, that sound will still come through. Hmm. Well, I tell you what, right? Here's what you should do: if you can record the sound and send it to us, a we'll play it on air, okay. and then everyone else can hear it, and b we'll try and work out what it is. So if you can get a recording on your smartphone or similar, then we'll have a listen okay. for you. How about that? I'll do that. Basil, can I just triple check? Are there other people around you who also hear the sound? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, just checking <laughs> because maybe we need to be having another conversation. But no, I think no, 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 no. do 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 that recording, and then when we have uh, Dr. Chris with us next week, we can see if we dis- if we can decipher what that sound is about. Peter in Johannesburg. Hi. Hi. Um, I'd like to ask the doctor tinnitus. It's a sound that emanates from the ear, and I'd like to know what causes it and if it can be cured. Hello, Peter. Very common tinnitus. Um, a very high fraction, maybe up to one person in five by, by the time you get to, the, to, you know, to your latter years. It, risk of tinnitus increases with age. And it's a ringing in the ears or other sounds in the ears that are not arising external to the body. So in other words, they are sounds experienced by the person but not heard by anybody else. And these are very real to the person who's having the sounds. And usually it occurs in people who have a prior history of hearing loss or hearing damage. And that's why they tend to become more common as you get older, because you're more likely to have a lifetime's worth of accrued hearing damage as you get older, as well as the natural aging effect as you get older. And this is a risk factor for tinnitus. We don't know exactly why it happens, but we suspect that it's partly because the auditory system has a series of pathways that go from the cochlea, which is the organ of hearing that converts, for want of a better phrase, sound waves into brain waves. It takes the sound energy and converts it into nerve impulses, which are then transmitted up through a sequence of of brain pathways onto the part of the brain that hears, decodes and presents to consciousness what you're hearing. And when you rob the pathway of input corresponding to certain frequencies because those parts of the cochlea that would normally decode those frequencies have been damaged. We suspect that it may be that in the same way as if someone has an amputation and says they can still feel their missing body part and it's really painful, the brain still hears the missing hearing part of the cochlea and to compensate for the absence of signals coming in the brain turns up the gain or the amplification that's coming through for those frequencies and in the process it amplifies noise. It's a bit like if you're listening to a radio station and the signal's a bit woolly, you turn the volume up to hear better but you get more hiss in the background and we think it's that effect kicking in with tinnitus that depriving the brain of input from parts of the cochlea and certain frequencies that it would normally decode causes the brain to compensate for the paucity of signal by amplifying what signals it does have more and in the process it sucks up the background noise and that's the tinnitus the funny phenomena that people get which are very distracting and very annoying for people to the point that some people are actually driven to suicide because of this there is ways to get help and it can't be cured unfortunately because it corresponds to damage to parts of the nervous system but there are good ways to suppress it and there's lots of information online if you go to reputable sources managing tinnitus effectively look that up you'll find there are various measures that people can be advised to take that can really help uh very quickly ralph has an answer to the aircraft noise ralph you have like 15 seconds go ahead yes i know you you like um uh, chris you'll be well aware of what that that, that noise is it's the wind winter vortices um, the, the, if you're standing uh, on, on the landing part of the aircraft, as the aircraft passes, as those vortexes drop to the ground, you hear that sound of the, of the, the air uh, spreading from the winds.
Aha. Thank you so much, Ralph. Uh, We're going to have to leave it there. Um, ben had the same answer. Chris, I hope you're answered, but I'm so late. I'm going to be in trouble. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Smith.